I had no problem deciding that I'm going to talk about Moses. Very familiar individual from in Scripture. And I believe he does exemplify faith. But before we look at Moses, we're going to look back at Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. Many have called it the Faith Hall of Fame. Well, in my preparation for this lesson, I've read a lot of my colleagues that don't like that terminology to refer to Hebrews chapter 11. Because they said it bring, conjures up these images of like the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you name it, the Hall of Fame. And it celebrates all their accomplishments. Well, our Hall of Faith of Fame, or of our Hall of Fame of Faith, has nothing to do with their accomplishments. It has to do with their faith in the God that accomplished everything in their lives. So they don't like that term, but it is thrown out there. It is one of those things that they call Hebrews chapter 11. Well, let's start with a basic foundation. What is faith? Faith has been defined as complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So faith is more of a decision that we make rather than a physical action that we can actually take. Hebrews chapter 11, the first three verses tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. For by it the elders received commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen did not come from anything visible. Everything that we see in front of our eyes did not exist. And by God's voice, they came into being. So we can't see faith. But we know through faith, everything that we can see did come into being. The ground we walk on, that we know as it is now, wasn't here. God spoke into existence this very ground we walk on. Faith is believing in the unbelievable and then receiving the impossible. So what are some examples of faith? If we continue in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 through 11 tell us that by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, and by faith, Sarah. But if we look to Hebrews 11, 13, it reminds us that these all died in faith without receiving the things promised. What we see, what we know about today, they heard about, they believed it would happen, but they never saw it. But they saw them and welcomed them from afar. So even though they didn't see physically, they saw them through God's eyes through eyes of faith, and they welcomed them. And they confessed that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. No different than us. We're just sojourners here. This is not our home. We live here, but we're not going to stay here. So faith is not some kind of automatic result. 
We may never receive, just like the ones we just mentioned, the things that we're hoping for, the things that we're praying for, the things that we're believing for. We pray for a lot of things. We hope we, that these things will come to pass, but we may never see them. But we believe that they will happen. But we can welcome them just like those heroes of faith did, sight unseen. There's one important caveat. So we're going to back up to Hebrews 11.6 because it tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. For one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So if we don't believe in God, if we don't accept what God has said, it's worthless. It's impossible without the faith in God to perform those things that he already promised would happen. If we don't have faith that it's going to happen, we'll never see it. We'll never experience it even in our spirits because we're denying what God has said. So the focus doesn't, isn't on our own desires. It's not even in our prayers or our hopes or our dreams, but on the one who can bring the reality of what we can't see with our naked eyes. And not by giving in or giving up when we aren't receiving the answers that we are sometimes so desperately looking for. How many times have you prayed for something, believed in something, but it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening... So you don't think about it anymore because you don't believe it's going to happen. But we don't have to see it to believe it. As I said before, faith is believing in the unbelievable and receiving the impossible. So this gives us a little insight into faith. So that brings us to our subject matter, Moses. Moving on in Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. How did Moses show faith by being hidden as a baby? Well, he lived the faith of his parents in believing that God would be sending a deliverer. And as we know, that deliverer was Moses at that time. But it says, because they saw he was an extraordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's decree. But then it goes on to say, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he chose to suffer mistreatment along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the disgrace of Messiah as rich, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, for he persevered as if seeing the one who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the smearing of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as if on dry ground. When the Egyptians tried it, they were swallowed up. By faith, Moses walked before God. By faith, he looked ahead to the end, even though he never saw the complete fulfillment. Because as we know, he was denied entrance to the promised land. 
But this gives us a snapshot of the life of Moses. And we know that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers, and to some degree, these were the believers who had heard the gospel message. Maybe not accepted it necessarily, but they had heard it. The one of the questions that will come up then when discussing the gospel of Yeshua is that since salvation according to the gospel is by faith, is that something brand new? Sometimes there's this understanding that the old covenant scriptures and the history of Judaism doesn't lend itself to the concept of faith, but more of a system of works. At the simplest and purest form, it was understood that if you were good enough and you were moral enough and if you observe all the ceremonies and all the rituals and you do your best to keep the law, including those things that the rabbis have decided we sh- this should be added to Scripture, then and only then will you be accepted by God, making it a matter of your own effort and your individual works. But what did I say about the concept and the definition of faith. Faith has nothing to do with what we do. It's putting our trust in someone or something else. So it's not what we do. When the message of the gospel is interpreted by some pastors or teachers or by the church as saying that you can just forget about the law because you have to forget about keeping the law and don't practice circumcision or any of the rituals or observances that are written in the law because None of these things have anything to do with your salvation. Which is true. But they say it like, they'll say things like it's all about grace. And it's all about having faith. Which is also true. But it could have caused the Jewish people of that time and even some today to wonder if this is some new message. What Hebrews 11 does remind us is that salvation has always been by faith. It even points out that as far back as the beginning in Genesis, we have had great examples in Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah of faith in God. And we continue learning through all the patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. In each and every one of them, we see that They had a right relationship with God. And that relationship was based on faith. When they heard God speak, when they saw what God had written, when they they saw the things God was doing, they had to believe that it had nothing to do with them. They had to have faith in a God they could not see. As Mouse pointed out earlier, Nobody looked face to face upon God or they would not have been. Although we do see instances in Scripture where it says that they saw God, panim al panim, face to face. But I don't think it means literally they were standing there looking in God's face. I don't believe that because otherwise the rest of the Scripture would be wrong where it says you can't look at God and live. Faith exemplified and defined the relationships that all of them had. Once we finish with those who had relationship with God through the book of Genesis, we continue with another great man of faith in the book of Exodus. Like I said, Moses. As a matter of fact, the story of Moses takes us 
from Exodus through Deuteronomy 34, to Deuteronomy 34. So we read about the activities of Moses' life in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But we know he didn't write all of chapter 34 because it tells us that he died. So somebody else, presumably Joshua, finished the book of Deuteronomy. But for the most part, Moses penned the entire book of Moses. Was he there in Genesis 1? No, but God revealed it to him, showed it to him. He was able to write it down, record it for our reading, for our hearing, for our understanding, for our learning. And he wrote all the way through chapter 33 of Deuteronomy up to part of Deuteronomy 34, and his his life was finished. He had done all he was supposed to do. I say that, but at the same time, he could have been doing more. Had he been completely obedient to God, he would not have been prohibited from entering the promised land had he not gone against what God told him to do. And what's that called? That's called sin. And that was one sin that God was not going to forgive. The elements of the entire story of Moses are in those books. The four I just mentioned. And he was the one who recorded everything. The only exception, again, was about his death. I don't know anybody, unless you are looking into the future, that can write all the way up through your death and your burial. He couldn't do that either. Now, some would conclude that Moses, because he wrote the Torah, he wrote the law, is the foremost example of the law. The law was, and still is today, called the Mosaic Law, or the Law of Moses. So if anybody could be held out as a proponent or a model for legalism, it would have to have been Moses. Moses could be thought of as the original quintessential legalist. But think about it for just a moment. Did Moses write the law? No, Moses recorded what God said. So he could be thought of as being the first legalist. But that makes it hard to think that Moses would ever be thought of someone who would operate in the spiritual realm. In other words, not the law, but instead by faith. If Moses were a legalist, faith would have made no sense whatsoever. But he operated in faith, based upon what God said. As we just read, the faith of Moses is recorded in some detail, indicating to us that Moses himself made several choices throughout his life. As a matter of fact, verse 25 used the word chose. The life Moses lived was marked by the choices he made according to his faith in God. Just like with us, it becomes a series of choices. We choose to walk with God by faith. We choose to do the things we do, good or bad, right or wrong. We make a choice. There's a couple of ways that we could 
look at faith and what faith does in our lives. First are the things that we accept by faith. And the second is the things that we reject or deny by that same faith. Generally speaking, faith is selective. Moses is a great example of the truth that salvation is not something that can be obtained by the works we do. It's not being religious or following established rituals, but simply by faith. It comes down to a personal belief in the Word of God. We can always say it, and we hear it a lot. God said it, I believe it, that's it. It settles it. But what are you doing in between? God said it, you believe it, but were you walking in that way? Are you walking in the faith of believing what God said is true? What God said will happen. And are we walking in faith strongly enough to understand that even if we don't see the result or the end, it's going to happen because God said it. I've said it before. There's the saying, seeing is believing. Well, you know, that's not what faith is. Faith isn't about seeing something to believe it. It's believing it even when you can't see it. Moses gives us that example. And he he shows us how faith takes on the form of decisions that we make in our lives, choices that we make in our lives. That's a simple way to look at life. Life is made up of a series of choices. We all make them each and every day. You chose to step out of bed when you woke up. You could have stayed there and said, you know what, I'm sleeping in. You chose to get in the car and come here. But you said, no, I'm going. I've got to be there to fellowship. We make choices every day, multiple choices. We can make the good choices. We can make the bad choices. But how many have ever heard someone say something like this? I have made some bad choices. Maybe you yourself at one time or another had to admit, I have made some bad choices. I know I can raise my hand. And guess what? As long as I'm walking in this body on this earth, I will make some bad choices. And it's true. It's an absolute. See, sin is and always had been a bad choice. Our lives are made up of making either the right choice or making the wrong choice. And like I said, life is a series of choices. Every day that we live, we're given many opportunities to make a choice. We can only pray that we make the right choice. Every time. But we know that we won't always do that. That's where grace comes in. There are a number of occasions when all Israel made a proclamation that sounded like they were all making the right choice. In Exodus 19.8, Exodus 24.3, Exodus 24.7, speaking as one, they all said, all the words which Adonai has spoken, we will do. Did they? But it was the right choice. The choice was to be obedient to God's word. 
They just didn't act upon it. They said, we will do it. But almost immediately in some cases, when as soon as they turned around, they did just the opposite. Moses made choices. He chose to do what God called him to do. He made a choice to believe God, and that meant he had to choose a life of faith. And he showed that faith through his decisions. Decisions that he either accepted or rejected. Let's look at something he rejected. What is it that true faith rejects? The first thing that the faith of Moses rejects is the world's prestige. We just read in Hebrews 1.24. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So we all know the story. We read about it every year. As an infant, Moses was put in a basket. He was set afloat on the Nile River in order to save his life. If he had been one of the he, because if he had been one of the Hebrew baby boys to be killed by Pharaoh, the whole story would have ended right there. We wouldn't have had a Moses. But as we know, God had a different plan. He always has a different plan for us. So there was no way Moses was going to die at that point in time. God ordered the circumstances that caused the basket to be floated down the river. He ordered the circumstances that caused Pharaoh's daughter to find the basket with a baby while she was bathing in the Nile. And that's how Moses became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was no secret that he was an Israelite. He was one of the Hebrew babies. How do we know it's not a, it wasn't a secret? Because Exodus 2.6 tells us that Pharaoh's daughter... When she found him in the river, she had compassion on him, and she declared, this is one of the Hebrew children. So no secret. She knew where that baby came from, but she didn't care. She took him in to be her own. Then we see in Exodus 2.4 that Miriam, Moses' sister, watched to see what was going to happen to her baby brother. And so when Pharaoh's daughter took him out of the water, we read in Exodus 2, verses 7 through 9, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a nurse from the Hebrews to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter told her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. You think it was an accident that Miriam was watching Moses floating down the river? You think it was an accident that she brought their own mother to nurse her baby brother. I find one thing very incredible in this portion here that Moses' own mother was actually going to be paid to nurse her own son. And that's incredible. Again, God orchestrated it that way. So then we move on to Exodus 2, verse 10, that says, after the boy grew... When he grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she became, he became her son. So she named him Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now, at this point, we have no timeline that figures out how much older Moses had grown. Many, including me, 
actually believed that he was probably several years old, possibly as many as 12 years old, which would mean that he would have a... What would happen between his weaning and his 12th birthday? He had been taught all the things of his past. What past? The Israelites' past. The past that God ordered and ordained for them. Because otherwise, how could he even possibly know anything about the God, about God or the God of his ancestors? He wouldn't have known anything. Because some say they brought him back three years old. Well, he wouldn't have been able to learn anything about God. So we believe, myself and some of my colleagues, that his mother kept him for about 10 or 12 years. And during that time, he would have been taught about the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph. He would have known the history of Joseph and the hope of a land of promise. He would have also learned that the Israelites were longing for a time when they would be delivered from their slavery and their ultimate arrival in that promised land. He would have been trained in everything that had been revealed by God from the beginning of time until the moment he was given to Pharaoh's daughter to be her son. And when that time came, we just read it, he became her son. You notice he didn't become her baby. He didn't become her child, but her son, which is another indication that he was probably older. Some of you are not going to get this, but I'm going to say it anyway. He may have already had his bar mitzvah before he came back. Yes, bar mitzvah is a newer ceremony, which wouldn't have been existing then, just for those that didn't catch that. Mouse was getting ready to jump up and say, what are you, what are you talking about? What's this blasphemy? At this point, though, something amazing happens. Wait for it. Time travel. Wait, time travel? What are you talking about? Now that I have your attention, the very next verse, Exodus 2.11 says, Now it happened in those days after Moses had grown up that he went out to his brothers and saw their burdens. He noticed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. One of his own people. He knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. And according to Acts 7.22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in his words and deeds. When he was approaching 40 years of age, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, B'nai Yisrael. Time travel. He went from about 12 years of age to 40 years of age instantly between verses. So after the beginning of his life with a firm foundation in the truth of who God is and what he's done up until that point, he would have learned from his parents all these things, but he continued his learning from the wisdom of the Egyptians. Remember when I said that Moses made choices? What's he going to do? What is his heart telling him he should do? Will he follow after the wisdom of the Egyptians? Or will his heart direct him in the truth of God? See, even if you accept 
the explanation that he was spent 12 years learning from his parents, he would have spent the next 28 years being formally educated or indoctrinated in Egypt, which would have included Egyptian wisdom, Egyptian idolatry, hieroglyphics, and everything Egyptian. So at this point, according to Acts 7.22, which correlates to Exodus 2.11 when he had grown up, at the age of 40, he was now facing a critical decision. See, for roughly a third of his life at that point, he'd been raised as a Hebrew. The next two-thirds, he was raised as an Egyptian. His next choice was really crucial. Is he still a Hebrew? from Hebrew parentage, or is he now so immersed in Egyptian tradition and lifestyle that he no longer will embrace his rich history? Quite a choice, if you ask me. I mean, we even talk about today, when it comes to adoption, usually adopt the lifestyle and the traditions of the adoptive family. It could have been very easy for Moses to accept that part of his upbringing. So what choice is he going to make? Remember what we just read in Hebrews 11.24? By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's when Moses made his choice to reject the prestige, to reject the prominence of the world according to Egypt. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which made him what? Pharaoh's grandson. And he at the time was the greatest ruler on the earth. The Egyptians possessed the most sophisticated culture and society. They were highly advanced. Moses had the privilege and the honor to be a huge part of it all. He would have understood the honor of being a prince to Pharaoh. He knew who he was. And so we read that he kills an Egyptian in defending one of his own people. And that's when he makes his decision. The decision to identify with God's chosen people. By his actions alone, Moses was declaring that God is my God. Not Ra. Not Pharaoh. But the true and living God. That took a huge act of faith. Why do I say that? Why, what, was, what did faith have to do with it? Because to make a choice that is based on sight, on what you can see with your eyes, wouldn't you accept and embrace what you have right in front of you? Moses had power. He had prestige, as I said before. He, was, he had the wealth. He had everything. Again, he was Pharaoh's grandson. It was all his as a prince in Egypt. But he chose what he couldn't see over what he could see. Isn't that what we read in Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 1? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. He chose to identify with the Hebrew slaves, God's people, because he understood that they were also his people. In the mid-1600s, there was an Austrian noble 
by the name of, I'm going to butcher his name, I'm sure, Baron Justinian von Filz. Well, he, close, like Moses, rejected his title. He rejected his properties, gave them up, and his vast wealth. Why? Because he wanted to become a missionary. He gave all that up. Historians have said that he was born uh, about 100 years too early. Because at that time he said, what is it to me to have the title well-born? When I am born again to Christ, what is it to me to have the title Lord when I desire to be the servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace? All these vanities I throw away and lay at the feet of my dear Lord Yeshua. That's exactly what Moses did. He gave it all up. He looked beyond what he could see. He looked beyond all that stuff that he could have had towards what God could and would do in and through him. Hebrews 11.25 said about Moses, Instead, he chose to suffer mistreatment along with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Or as the authorized version says, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Let's face it. Sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. Otherwise, who would enjoy sin? In the Egyptian culture, there would have been enough of it for everyone to enjoy. Especially if you were the royal prince. Everything would have been at his disposal, but Moses was willing to turn his back on all the pleasures of sin and become a fellow slave with his people. Could I do that? I don't know. Could you do that? I don't know. What we know today, probably. But back then, what? I mean, I got all this money. I got palaces. I've got everything I need right here. Why should I go and join them? They're slaves. I don't want to be a slave. So he made the choice, the right choice. And that kind of a choice was made in faith. It was something he couldn't see. And it was a choice that puts puts trust in God over the things of the world. Now, before we think that Moses was actually afraid of Pharaoh, Hebrews 11.27 tells us that by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. For he persevered as if seeing the one who is invisible. The word translated left, where it says he left Egypt, is more than just leaving town or leaving the house. Like we all did this morning. We, We left the comfort of our bed, then we left the house to come here. Or maybe we made a stop on the way. Who knows? But it's more than just he left the room. But the King James, once again, uses the word forsook, which comes from the Greek, I'm going to butcher the Greek now, katalepo, which means to renounce, to reject, to abandon or disown. It's the same word that Luke uses when he says that they forsook all to follow Yeshua. 
So it's more about this idea of just, it's, not, it's more than just going out of Egypt and leave, going away. But to literally renounce everything that is Egypt. Again, renouncing everything he had, everything he owned, everything he potentially would possess. In his position, he could have possibly been the next Pharaoh. But he didn't care. That's not what God wanted him to do. Notice, too, that he didn't fear the king's anger. The concept of faith is further exemplified when it says, for he persevered as if seeing the one who is invisible. Remember what happens in Exodus 5. After he's shepherding his father-in-law's flock, he's gone for 40 years in Midian. What does he do? He goes back to Egypt. Where does he go when he returns to Egypt? He walks right in to Pharaoh's palace. Walks right up before Pharaoh and says, This is what Adonai, God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. If you ask me, that's pretty fearless. Sure, he did hesitate and make excuses about not being an accomplished speaker, But it never shows that he had fear of going and doing it. He was just concerned that he wouldn't be able to articulate what God wanted done or said. Well, once God assigned Aaron to be with him, what did he do? He went in. At that point, if he was really fearful, he could have said, okay, God has called you to be my representative. You go in and talk to Pharaoh. But he didn't do that. He went with Aaron because God said, you'll take Aaron with you. So 40 years living in the land of Midian, working as a shepherd, and now he walks back into Pharaoh's palace. He must have still, even after that 40-year period, had some type of recognition because it doesn't say that he was stopped from going in. Now, he may have been escorted in, but he was allowed to go into Pharaoh. And it's just Moses and Aaron. No army. Just the two of them. He's not carrying a weapon, neither one of them. He had a staff. But that's all he had. Pharaoh's officers are probably ready to arrest him. But he boldly walks in, right in, the, right in facing Pharaoh, and repeats the command of God. He even has the audacity to tell Pharaoh what God said about what will happen if he doesn't let the people go. He could have held that part back. I mean, you think about it. If you know all this stuff that God said he's going to do, if you don't do what I say, you might hesitate to tell the rest of the story. Not Moses, not Aaron. They stood right there and they said, here's what God said would happen if you don't let them go. Now, that's a man of faith. Pharaoh could have ordered his execution right then and there. Where did Moses get this faith from? How was he able to muster up such great courage? Call it chutzpah, call it machismo, if you will. We just read the answer. He persevered as if seeing the one who is invisible. He knew God existed by faith even though he couldn't see him. 
He couldn't recognize him if he walked up in front of him right now. We couldn't recognize God if he walked up in front of us right now because he wouldn't appear to us as God. He was looking to the unseen God, the invisible God. Moses knew that there was a greater king than Pharaoh and that he could see him through the eyes of faith. Simply put, Moses believed in God. Moses is a man who made the right choices, made the right decisions. He chose to reject all the world had to offer. He rejected the pleasure, the wealth, the pressure. What's awesome about the life and faith of Moses is what I said earlier. Moses could, have be, could be thought of as the original quintessential legalist, but he's not legalistic. He's a model of a man of faith. Look at any of the other Hall of Fame of Faith personnel. You won't see anything different in them as far as faith in God. Moses fit right in with them because that's what he was, a man of faith. He believed the Word of God. Keep in mind, he heard God's words being spoken where we can see them, read them ourselves. We can go back to them until he wrote them down, until God brought them back to his memory to write down on scrolls. That's all he had heard is his word, spoken, not written. Because he believed in God and his word, he was accepted by God. True faith will always accept what the Lord's plan is. No matter what you see or what you hear. If you're hearing what God has to say and you're following after that, there's nothing more powerful. There's nothing else that can bring you stronger faith than following after his word. Moses, if you note, didn't try to do everything on his own. And I don't mean sitting down with Aaron and talking. I mean sitting down with Aaron and others to plan out a strategy. He didn't do that. Because God had already told him what the strategy was. And he accepted it. He accepted the promise in Exodus twelve thirteen that says, So there will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So get this. Moses took God at his word. Imagine that. Take God at his word. Even through each of the 12 plagues, which grew increasingly worse, Moses had faith in God. He had faith that he and the Israelites would be delivered. Why? Here comes the deepest reason ever. Because God said so. That's as deep as I'm going to get today. God said so. Now I asked you at the start, what is faith? And I said, according to the dictionary, faith has been defined as complete trust or confidence in someone or something, and that faith is a more, more of a decision that we make rather than a physical action that we can take. When we read about Moses and his life and his faith, He more than fits that description. 
He had a complete trust in both someone, God, and something, God's promises. And he made a decision. He made a choice to walk in that trust, to walk in that faith. I also said that faith is believing in the unbelievable and receiving the impossible. That also describes the life of Moses. He didn't allow the unbelievable to affect his choices. And as a result, he saw and received the very things that God had spoken, as impossible as they may have seen. Think about it. Of all the things that God told Moses, did you, can you read the words and not think about where you are now and realize how could he have believed in that? They seem so impossible. But we serve a God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard for him. So when we consider the story of Moses, it's not a story of the law. It's actually a story of faith. An absolutely amazing story of faith. And understand one thing. Faith will always make all the right choices. It's a faith in God that we believe in. If we have faith in God and we're following after him, we're always going to make the right choices. It's only when we stray a little bit that we get tempted a little bit when we decide to do things on our own, hold our own counsel. It's important to understand the elders meet together regularly to discuss the operation of this congregation. But we open up putting it in God's hands. And we close putting it in God's hands. Because we are not so arrogant that we think we know all the answers. We're not so arrogant that we think that we have the right answers. But we're just arrogant enough to know that God has the right answers. So we're going to trust Him to give us those answers. So no matter what we think, what we say, in everything we do, we should do it according to God's Word. And by faith in God's Word, we, can, we, like Moses, can experience the blessings that go along with that faith. The blessings that go along with understanding and believing that God has your best interest at heart. Sometimes the world, matter of fact, most of the times the world doesn't have your best interest at heart. But God will always have your best interest at heart. He will always be there with you. He'll be there for you. Just trust. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We can't see God. We can't even see what he's promised. But guess what? We need to make that our focus. We need to head towards the things of God, the things God has told, has told us to do through his word. And I know some of us that have actually heard an audible voice. Others haven't, but that's okay because you can still hear him through his word. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank you and we bless you for examples like Moses who walked by faith in you. He didn't focus on the things around him that could have swayed him, that could have discouraged him from walking with you. And we thank you that you do the same for us. Keep our eyes focused on you and help us to do that. 
Help us to be more sensitive to the Ruach, to the Holy Spirit, and do the things that you want us to do, the way you want us to do them. If we understand, Lord, which we do, that you want our best, you have our best interests at heart, we know that you're not going to take us astray when we follow after what you've given us to do. That all things work together for good, that love you and love those who are called according to your purpose. And I believe, Lord, that we are called according to your purpose. I believe there's no way you would take us down the wrong path. And when we decide to take that wrong path, I pray that you would always bring us back. Put us back on that path. If we need chastening, chasten us. And remind us who we are and who you are and the relationship that we have with you. Thank you for your grace. We continue to lift up those who are ill, those who are traveling, and pray that you would bring healing, that you would give travel mercies, and that you would always keep us in your hands because that's where we have safety. That's where we have comfort. Let your peace surround us. Let your peace indwell us. In Yeshua's name.